This is Energy Voice Out Loud, leading the global energy conversation. I'm Alistair Thomas, and welcome to our podcast. I'm joined this week by our Africa and LNG editor, Ed Reed, and making his glorious return to the podcast, our content editor, Andrew Dykes. So I'll kick us off this week, um, hopefully a quite interesting one, but um, I guess firstly, what are your views on uh, TikTok, guys? Do you use it ever, or do you just think it's something for, you know, teens dancing? Uh, what are your preconceptions on the social media platform? I think I'm far too old, really, to uh, to, to, to even really understand TikTok, mm. uh, let alone use it. Uh, so no, I think it's it's pretty much passed me by. Andrew, you're you're the you're the the, the young kid on the block. Uh, are you are you a, are you a talker? <laughs> I'm, I'm not much of a talker, I'm afraid. Yeah, I have to concur with you, Ed. I know I'm, I'm a few years uh, before your time, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like I have any business being on TikTok, unfortunately. Um, not I no you know throwing no shade on the the dancers and the trends and the various different lifestyle choices you can make there. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm very much not on TikTok. Expertly navigated there. Expertly navigated. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I always thought it was just for kids and you know folk doing dancing videos, and it still is. You still have that option if you wish, but uh, yeah, it's actually more like. I would say more like Reddit. If you ever use Reddit, more kind of based on your interests rather than like your your social circle. So this week, uh, I, I do enjoy a scroll through TikTok. Uh, and this week, the algorithm uh, showed me a, a video of a guy who'd taken a paddleboard out 10 miles to an offshore wind farm in the UK, which had racked up at the time about 12 million views. And I guess those numbers alone should perhaps tell you you're missing out on something if you're not on TikTok. So there we are. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, there we are. Uh, and I read the comments, you know, it did, have, uh, uh, it did have a bit of a safety angle, but I wasn't really in journalist mode at all. I was just kind of scrolling through mindlessly and it didn't occur to me until the next day. Uh, hang on. Um, that's really fecking dangerous. Uh, and sure enough, um, yeah, sure enough. Uh, upon closer, closer inspection, you've got, you know, dozens of people talking about his life. He doesn't have a life jacket. He doesn't have any, like, buoyancy aid. A couple of the comments got, like, 60,000 likes each, uh, highlighting this guy didn't have any of that kind of kit with him. So, yeah, it's uh, there's a few things here. There's a rich tradition of people doing really stupid stuff, particularly on, uh, you know, oil and gas infrastructure uh, for video views. And, and this kind of falls into that camp, albeit with uh, renewables. So, um yeah, I mean, this guy, uh, he took a paddleboard out uh, southeast of England uh, and went out four hours or so, 10 miles out to the Rampion offshore wind farm on his own. As I say, no no flotation, personal flotation device other than the, the paddleboard he was on. And cam winds, obviously that can pick up when you go out to sea, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, and this guy was, yeah, he was on this inflatable paddleboard. He actually says he doesn't want to get a puncture. So he was careful not to go too close to the turbine, which kind of boggles the mind. Can you imagine being, you know, 10 up, ten miles out to sea yourself, no life jacket, no boats, and your only, you know, flotation device gets punctured? Um, incredibly stupid, I guess, would be the, the way to describe it. So, yeah, I mean, look, contacted the RNLI and the, the Coast Guard. On an official basis, they were really only willing to give advice on the safety activities, which I was kind of surprised by. Obviously, a story like this needs somebody to call it out for what it is. So um, I found the British Stand-Up Paddleboard Association, which I had no idea existed. Um, 
whose head coach had just so happened to have come out of a six-hour meeting with the RNLI because people had, uh, unfortunately, uh, there's been such a rise in this kind of sport in the UK that it's actually in had a commence, not commensurate rate, but certainly there's also been an increase in the number of fatalities and people getting seriously hurt as well because there's a lot of good good behaviour, but there's also this kind of stupid behaviour going on too. So he just came out of that meeting and he just he was pretty flabbergasted by it, like what the hell is going on? Pretty frankly, just calling it reckless behaviour. As I say, this kind of stuff has led to fatalities in the UK before. Basically calling the guy a, a total idiot that placed himself in a vulnerable position and is lucky to not have found himself in distress. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, I've never been on a paddleboard. I've always fancied it, but, you know, maybe along the coast, down the river, uh, on a loch, definitely not taking out 10 miles out to sea on my own, no matter how good the weather might look. Uh, so, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, you're not on TikTok now, guys, but, you know, you'll you'll have seen the videos on Energy Voice. Uh, so what did you make of them when you, when you saw them? My, my personal thought when I watched the video was uh, the size of the jellyfish that he just calmly passed by <laughs> asking for suggestions of, I, think, I think he was just calmly asking whether it might be poisonous i that would have been the point at which i turned no no the sea doesn't want me here yeah i can't i mean i'm not great at identifying jellyfish by sight but the sheer size of it alone would tell me i, I shouldn't shouldn't be out this far i'm not wanted as you say <laughs> the sea is sending me a message um I mean, yeah, like hats off to the guy, right, for the physical exertion yeah. and the incredible sunburn he ended up with, <laughs> yes. which was the other thing I did notice that far out, is he didn't really seem to be uh, packing the SPF, as far as I could see, along with no flotation devices. I think he needed it too, didn't he? You know, it did I think look, he really it, did, yeah. It, it looked bad, it looked bad, yeah. I don't know, Ed, have you ever uh, ventured in that kind of water sporting <laughs> thing? Or, I mean, what do you get up to in your free time? And give us some flavor here. To, to, to be honest, it's not, not even occurred to me to get on a paddleboard and, and go out and investigate a, a, a wind farm. But, I mean, I think, you know, certainly if I did so, I would I would think very strongly about having a life jacket yes. now uh, after, after reading your, your article. I think the other thing that, was, that struck me was when um, there's a point when he's sort of poodling, I think it was when he's coming, he's coming back from the, from, from the, from the, from the, the, the massive turbines and i think it is really i think that's the the, the the kind of the really interesting thing wasn't it the sort of the sheer size that sometimes you you kind of overlook how big these uh these these massive great bits of kit are and then you when you get kind of up close that you think oh that is extraordinary but the the, the part when he's kind of coming back and he sees uh, like a i think is it some sort of a cargo vessel yeah shipping and lines. he's sort of trying to work out whether he's going to intercept it whether he's going to get run over and it does give you a sense of again of you know the sheer enormity of the ship and and and, and also the insignificance of, of of a man on a paddleboard um so i mean yes certainly not something uh that i feel we should we should endorse but also a really sort of an an, an interesting way to you know kind of get a get a, get a fresh look at, at some of the things going on offshore i think um it, it raises the question as well with so many more offshore wind farms uh, coming, in. I think most of them are going to be a little bit further off the coast than Rampion. Is, is Rampion maybe a special case in that it seems to be built in very shallow water mm. comparatively, even by sort of wind farm standards? Uh, jellyfish or no jellyfish accepted. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, we're, they are going to probably have to think about some of the wider safety messaging around people looking at this infrastructure, right? Because yeah. there's going to be cables coming to shore. There's mm. going to be way more stuff that isn't just 
heat turbines yeah. that people will at some point wish to investigate whether by paddleboard or not. Yeah, the, the thing the thing is with the safety safety side, uh, I did go to the Rampion uh, developers and, and they did point me to the safety leaflet they've got, you know, and, and, and fair enough to them, you know, there's a, a whole list there. And, and to be clear, this you can go out to these this wind farm, nothing really stopping you as long as you operate safely and, and people can take sailboats out and things like that. I think there's a big difference there between, you know, a crude, you know, uh, sailboat or, or whatever else and, and a one man without a life jacket on a paddleboard. Um, and, and I guess the thing that's pointed in the safety leaflet and, and that uh, stand-up paddleboard association mentioned as well is when you go out, you know, into out to sea, um, you know, it's a lot more different to where you would be just at the coast, even, even a couple of miles out. What they tell me uh, you can find is that the, the wind speed can pick up to 10 knots pretty quickly. Um, it clearly didn't happen in this case, but if, if, if you're just on a paddleboard and you're trying to, you know, go miles back uh, and, and you're getting that kind of tide against you, you're not coming, you're not going to manage to get back. It doesn't matter how strong you are. And you saw, you see this guy in the video uh, after seven hours, uh, he said he's, he's totally exhausted. He's beaten with exhaustion. And that's on the calmest day you can really... Uh, get in the UK, which is, you know, as, as, as they mentioned as well, that's, you know, you can probably count on one hand where the weather in the UK stays the same throughout the entire day. Uh, how many days do we get like that when things don't change and it stays calm? You know, you can never guarantee, or I would say you could rarely guarantee that if it's going to be, you know, nice in the morning, it will necessarily be very calm and nice in, in the evening. So, yeah, I mean, the Rampion wind, it does, it does mention that wind speed issue. I was surprised that they, and quite frankly, yeah, the, R <coughs> the RNLI and the Coast Guard weren't a bit firmer on this. Um, and, and yeah, for sure, I think if we have more, uh, you know, deep water floating wind farms uh, and, and indeed more, you know, fixed ones that are further out too, Andy, yeah, you're right enough, maybe there does need to be more of a, a focus on this. But um, yeah, it's amazing what you can find on TikTok. I recommend you guys uh, have a wee, have a wee look at. Uh, can I ask as well? Is, is your feed on TikTok just paddleboarding videos <laughs> from noon till night? It's now? just paddleboarding and oil and, and RNLI safety yeah. messaging. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's just you know my, my wife does see it. Just Alistair, you need to stop this now. And I'm like, no, no, this 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 stays. this is for work, babe. This is my lifestyle now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's let's stop this uh, madness uh, here. And uh, uh, next, we'll go to a, a, a concert to, to rival Harry Styles himself. Uh, up next, as well as these regular weekly news roundups on Energy Voice Out Loud, you'll also find lots of subject-specific box sets in the same feed. And I'm excited to be the anchor for one called the Megawatt Hour. Produced in paid partnership with BDO, the Megawatt Hour brings together experts from across the energy industry and across the world to examine the challenges and the opportunities of energy storage. As more of the grid gets its power from intermittent renewables, energy storage technologies, and batteries in particular, are going to be an increasingly important feature of our infrastructure. Over the course of 10 monthly episodes, we'll be diving deep into the tech, the policy, and the challenges of building out energy storage to help you better understand its opportunities, wherever you work in the energy sector. Look out for episodes of the Mega Hour in Energy Voice Out Loud, as well as lots of other special episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, Harry Styles himself. I said it. There we are. <laughs> it's all very Gen Z, uh, this, uh, this podcast, and I think we should just keep that lovely theme running. Um, but Ed, yes, yeah, so tell us about this 
Well, it's the it's Nigeria's NNPC, but they they had they put on a hell of a show this week. They, they, they did indeed, and 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 it was a big week for uh, for NNPC, and and it was really kind of the culmination, I suppose, of the of the of some of the the, the big reforms that they're seeing in the in the Nigerian energy industry. Uh, and obviously that has uh, that, that's got a number of, uh, of changes as a result, uh, not least uh, with NNPC. So NNPC now has a sort of a degree of independence from the from the government, um, and 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 there's a sort of a sense that they can they can get things uh, they can get things done better on their own. And in fact, they, they have a, had a little sort of a musical interlude, which uh, which which hopefully demonstrates just how how how, how big they're feeling about the future. Wow. Well, I, I hope that that what? gave you a sense of of, of some of the uh, the goings on in in, in Abuja. Um, so it was it was, it was it was it was it was a big extravaganza. It was something like three or four hours. The president was there. The oil minister was there. The head of the uh, of NNPC was there. They had uh, they had songs. They had dancing. Um, it was it was a real uh, a real big push. Um, obviously, that that you know was uh, was was the very the sort of the upside of it. The, 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 quite interestingly, they um, they had another performer singing a song called "Fire on the Mountain," uh, which uh, is 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 a much more negative, should we say, uh, take on uh, Nigeria and its and its uh, system of governance, uh, lamenting corruption and, and some of those things. So I suppose you know the the, the 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 musical interludes were really you know giving giving both sides of the of, of the Nigerian question. So I think that, that obviously there there are changes. Is coming for, uh, for for an NPC, uh, but obviously at the same time, a lot of the challenges are still the same. Mm. Um, so you know, can uh, an NPC strike new deals with companies? Do international companies still want to come on and explore in Nigeria, given energy transition concerns, given security concerns, given you know questions around corruption? Um, and I suppose you know. Fundamentally, there's a, there's a there's a massive kind of a political question there, which is becoming increasingly uh, notable, given that Nigeria is, is moving towards a presidential election uh, next year, which is around uh, petrol supplies. So, NNPC currently uh, is is in charge of uh, ensuring that you know the, uh, the, the that Nigeria gets enough fuel to continue running. Um, but you know, given this uh, this newfound independence, given these changes, is it still going to be able or willing to 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 to, to take that on? Obviously, the Nigerian president said that you know energy security would be continue to be kind of top of the list for NNPC, but. Clearly, it's kind of been an ongoing tension uh, when NNPC can't, for instance, fund its share of uh, upstream spending because it's spending all of its money uh, to to import uh, petrol and, and and diesel. So there is a tension there, and that's that's going to become more marked, particularly given continued uh, sky high fuel prices. So. In some ways, it is a bright new day for uh, for an NPC, but uh, at the same time, there is uh, there's still a lot of history going on there. Just correct me if I'm wrong here. Am I reading this accurately? So we've had what forty years of of the NNPC as 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 it has been historically as an entity. I mean, what what is the I guess what's what's the legacy of that? I mean, I, I've you know I think I saw in your article you mentioned things like 
corruption being being a problem um, historically. I mean, how, how do people in Nigeria look at it more broadly over the course of that, you know, s- substantial, I mean, four decades uh, is a hell of a time. And it seems uh, interesting to see this kind of Turn around now. Yeah, so I mean, NNPC is. I mean, it's it's kind of fundamental to 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 Nigeria's oil industry, and and obviously the the PIA does does a lot to kind of uh, to confirm that. Um, so yeah, the legacy is 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 very much a sort of a mixed issue, right? I mean, I think. Um, it, the the company is seen as 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 sort of you know complicit to an extent in, in some of the environmental problems that, that Nigeria has had. And I think that's the, you know, obviously there are kind of corruption issues, but I mean, I think that corruption is kind of still largely sort of hidden. It's the it's the oil spills, it's the gas flaring, it's that sort of environmental cost mm. that really uh, makes its mark in Nigeria. And it's really the sort of the unacceptable face of the global industry. So I think you know that's um, there's, I suppose there's an extent to which uh, maybe the, the company's been shielded a bit by its the fact that its kind of onshore joint ventures are with foreign companies, so Shell obviously primarily. Um, so so I think that's that's been sort of, sort of mixed. But I think really that question is around fuel supplies. I think it, that's what it comes back to, and I think that's what's going to be the kind of the ongoing question. And as we move to potentially a an, an, a new government uh, come come February. Um, there, are, there, there are those questions around, you know, will the company still be able or, and willing to to ensure that, that it keeps fuel prices so low? And I think also there's a kind of a question around, um, you know, they said that, uh, you know, the, 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 the share, it's now got 200 million shareholders, right? That's sort of the people of Nigeria. And, and, and there's this idea that, uh, that, that it's going to sort of start working towards an IPO. Somewhere maybe sort of towards the the, the middle of next year, mm. um, and this is obviously going to be an incredibly difficult uh, undertaking to get the agree the political agreement to, in place to, to to kind of move that forwards. And also, you know, there's a question around to what extent will this benefit Nigerians, right? Again, does this does this does this uh, endanger those that that kind of question around around fuel supplies? Does it make things harder? Will, will will Nigerians sort of see the upside? Because I think that's that's the thing that you know, kind of Nigeria is is, is really kind of seen as the, the poster child for things that have gone wrong in the oil industry, isn't it? I mean, I think mm. any kind of new producer nation, they're always saying, you know, we don't want to end up like Nigeria, where you have two hundred million people, electrification is under fifty percent, uh, fuel supplies are, are are obviously erratic, um, and you know, there's, there's a real sense that the oil industry hasn't really provided sufficient benefit. To the people of Nigeria, will changing an NPC to a limited company change this? I would like to think so, uh, but I think it's it's pretty unlikely. Um, because given that sort of sheer mass of of, of history and sort of uh, political direction, and, and I suppose at the same time conflict. I mean, look, if if a, a company like this made this kind of move in the UK, I mean, I don't know, would would they put on a big song and dance? Quite literally, I, I don't think so. I don't, but I mean, I don't, I don't know if that would necessarily win anyone over if they're trying to be practical about things. I mean, what, why, why the full song and dance uh, with this this ceremony? Is that is that winning anyone over politically or 
Yeah, I don't know. I just find it so strange, but perhaps that's a, a, an ignorant thing of me to say. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, there's a kind of. Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to generalize too much, but I think you know, maybe it's more of a sort of a cultural uh, thing for in in Nigeria. There's a bit more of a sort of a performance around things. I think if you you know you go to you know Nigerian weddings, go to you know any sort of Nigerian event, there tends to be a bit more razzmatazz than than one sees here. Sure. So I think you know, and I think that's cool, right? I mean, I think you know, we we we've all gone to those kind of conferences is in London, you know, in a ballroom where chaps in grey suits kind of turn up and, 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 and sort of talk about things. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you know, there is there is another way to do this. Like, why not? Why not have a bit of a performance? Uh, so I think, you know, let's uh, let's let's see some of that spirit here. <laughs> yes. Let's hope it carries through into quarterly results once the IPO. I would <laughs> be very much look forward to, to logging onto those press calls rather than the AAM. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Although I suppose I suppose the, the exception would be some of the uh, some of the protests that we've seen. I think the was it the, the Shell AGM earlier this year and the, and the, the protesters were, were, were singing songs and things and you know doing a bit of a dance so let's um you know it's uh there's, there's a chance for change well i mean look on that positive note let's uh let's park ed's uh, section there so thank you very much ed uh, so we've had uh paddle boarding we've had dancing and now andrew dykes will be up with another exciting topic electricity market reform Energy Voice presents Future Offshore, a free hybrid event at the Chester Hotel Aberdeen on Thursday the 25th of August 2022. As the transition gathers pace, join me, Alistair Thomas, and the industry leaders to shape the offshore agenda for the North Sea ahead of ONS 2022 in Stavanger. The event will feature three sessions. The first is on energy security. The energy industry must meet critical production targets whilst making the transition. As a tough winter approaches, what are the options? Session 2 looks at the North Sea as an energy transition frontier, exploring decarbonisation in the UKCS and Norway, where are comparisons appropriate and what can each learn from the other. Finally, Session 3 tackles the skills transition, what steps are required to reach the jobs and investment levels to ensure longevity of the offshore industry. In-person tickets are limited, but whether you want to join us virtually or physically at the Chester Hotel on 25th of August 2022, you can register free at future-offshore.co.uk. So Andy, that's a bit facetious of me, um, but it may not, you know, it may not be uh, sexy. But from you know, this from the UK government does have some pretty wide-ranging implications. Uh, tell us a bit more about it. How dare you describe <laughs> market reform as unsexy, Alistair, in your profession? I know. Uh, yeah, the Review of Electricity Market Arrangements, or REMA, was uh, announced by government earlier this week. Uh, they've called it the biggest reforms to the electricity market in a decade, potentially. Um, it's a 130-page consultation document with 74 questions for people to respond to. So it certainly feels like the longest uh, reform to electricity market in a decade, from my point of view. Um, but it, it was kind of first announced when um, the government announced their energy security strategy earlier in the year. Um, that has huge plans, obviously, to expand nuclear, offshore wind, hydrogen, and with the ultimate goal of getting to 95% low-carbon electricity by 2030. So it's kind of clear that to get to that point, some changes are going to need to be made. Mm. Um, it's pretty wide ranging, though, which does make it more interesting than just kind of very dry policy changes. So one of the things that Bayes was kind of keen to, to trumpet was uh, this idea about introducing incentives for consumers. So rather than just affecting, you know, transmission generators, whoever on the market side, this is something that will potentially affect kind of our how we get our power, how we get our electricity day to day. 
Um, so one of the schemes kind of mooted is this idea of flexible demand. So encouraging either through pricing mechanisms or something else, people to use or not use electricity at different times of day when there's either more renewables on the grid or, or less power in general. Um, other kind of changes that they're, they're talking about are reforms to the capacity market. So that's kind of ensuring that there's always enough capacity on the grid to meet demand. And the contract for different schemes, the CFT schemes, so that's the main kind of mechanism by which we've procured large amounts of renewables in the past. Probably the, the big one to talk about for us, certainly, is um, reforms about pricing in general. So they want to kind of decouple fossil fuel prices from renewables electricity prices, which has been a big thing mm. on the consumer side that we've seen, uh, especially with, with rocketing electricity and gas prices. At the moment, the gas price pretty much sets the wholesale electricity price. Uh, this, use a marginal pricing system, um, which basically means that the most expensive generation assets set the price for the market, and we have one price for the whole UK. So they tend to closely track gas because we have a large amount of gas capacity, um, whereas renewables are kind of these often procured on these fixed schemes, or they produce intermittently, which means their they're kind of pricing can change quite a lot. Um, so the, the flip side of that, obviously, is when gas prices are high, electricity is high. Renewables prices are low. They also want to avoid what's kind of spookily called price cannibalization, which is when <laughs> we have wow. loads of, of renewables on the grid. Uh, a yeah, sunny, windy day, the price of electricity on the wholesale market, at least, kind of tanks. So there's very little incentive for anyone to do anything to that with that power, right? It's kind of worthless. You have to curtail it in some ways which is not great mm. that's that's one of the uh, the things they want to avoid they also kind of talk about uh, potentially splitting the market into separate markets for variable and firm power so i'm, I'm going to read from the consultation document raise yourselves yes. bear with me <laughs> <laughs> this would mean that prices in the variable market would be set on the basis of the long-run marginal cost of renewables so factoring on all the costs of producing units of energy from renewables while prices on the firm on-demand market would continue to be set by short-run marginal costs. So you basically have a separate market for these renewable uh, generation assets, the prices of which are kind of locked in, versus this on-demand market where you have a bit more flexibility to ramp on and ramp off, but it's set much more by commodity prices. And that, in turn, kind of then feeds through to this idea about consumer behavior. They're really keen to see whether there's a lot more value in this flexible market so that Consumers, not just us in our homes, but obviously large industrial consumers can can turn up and turn down their demand according to these price signals. Um, so they're hoping that that kind of gives them a bit more flexibility on on the demand side. There's also another kind of interesting aspect to this, which is uh, looking at different ways of pricing according to the UK. So at the moment, we have one price for electricity in the whole country. They're looking at the potential for something called zonal pricing, so splitting up the country into regions of demand, or also locational marginal pricing, again, another sexy name, uh, or that's also called nodal pricing. So that's a uh, continuation of that, but into a much more granular level where you have these kind of essentially micro grid level pricing points, at which point you can price electricity differently all across zones, I assume kind of by city, potentially even by towns, by large areas of demand. Um, it gives them a lot more flexibility then to, again, to set these price signals as to where you want electricity to be brought in 
or produced. There's an awful lot going on there, but it's 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 quite yeah, it's 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 quite interesting to see. I mean, that the, the cities thing, I uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to impact, you know, investment decisions if you've got different if you've got different prices for well, even what different postcodes it sounds like. Um be interesting seeing how uh, developers uh, look at that in terms of the the uh, how they make their investment decisions and you know how how that impacts the price point. Because I, I gather that 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 particular angle is linked to whether or not there's a local renewable generation um, project nearby in order to dictate the price. So this is it. Yeah, they, they want to kind of encourage, I suppose, you to build and to, to deploy your assets and your generation where the the areas of demand are going to be, and and for those to make sense, and also for them to reflect the cost of of getting it, right? You know, from your asset into places where it's going to be consumed. So, uh, I think National Grid have already kind of talked about nodal pricing. This is something that they're investigating. Um, and in California's market, so they have ten thousand nodes. So that that's the kind of granularity wow. of if you think about it. California is one of the most populous states, but also that's a huge amount of variability in in pricing and and uh, how you can kind of turn up and turn down these demand centers. Um, the flip side to that, obviously, is that, as they acknowledge in the consultation, the potential for, and I quote, disproportionate market manipulation. <laughs> uh, a generator who would be an export constrained node could then sell power in the day ahead market and then buy it back at a lower price later on. Right. Um, so they want to avoid that. And there have been some feedback already from from uh, market participants. Um, Cornwall Insight, uh, who's kind of have emerged as one of the preeminent kind of market observers on on electricity and and low carbon power and things. Um, They ran a survey that said two thirds of people that responded from the sector think that it does need reform, but they didn't necessarily think that this locational pricing was the answer to to a lot of the problems that they're laying out. Mm. Um, And they're basically saying the way that works is because you're encouraging uh, generation to go to the areas of demand. What about, you know, your big offshore wind farms, your nuclear plants, even that have to be built relatively far away for obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily encourage them to set up shop right next to somewhere that the, the power is going to be consumed. So there, there are constraints on where you choose to put assets that are not purely price-based, I think, is the takeaway from that. But I think what what is interesting about this is obviously, the first of all, the pace. So they are looking to kind of get, I think, uh, Answers are in by October. They want to kind of have some policy recommendations by the end of the year, and then they want to start basically enacting them, I think, towards the end of 2023. So this is rapid stuff to get us to 2030. The second point is that this probably will affect kind of how we think about consuming energy, which is also the front end of most people's ideas about the energy market, right, is their bills that come in, how they use it. You know, these reforms could potentially kind of change how that that looks for the next 10 years or longer. Um, and so I think as much as it is a very <laughs> dry and long document, the implications of it are probably going to be quite far reaching and will set the tone for probably the next yeah decade of, of how we think about the front end of energy. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it's a, yeah. I'm being I'm being uh, facetious there, but yeah, no, it is clearly hugely important, and it's, as you say, it's go wide ranging. Interesting to see how they play out um, with the with the, the the various changes going on. I think the government talked about a future system operator coming in uh, as part of the energy security strategy, who's I guess going to have to oversee all of this. Um, so yeah, interesting to see how they do that. Ed, I can you're chomping at the bit. 
<laughs> well, no, I was just, I was just thinking, like the the, the kind of the the uh, region sort of pricing thing just sounds like a really interesting idea. And I was just thinking, I mean, obviously, so I think uh, Rishi Sunak kind of came out this uh, this week with a bit of a sort of an energy strategy plan, talking. I mean, I, I suppose it kind of it felt really like a kind of a continuation of the sort of the existing sort of you know ideas around sort of you know opposed to sort of onshore wind and things, and 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 sort of you know keen on offshore wind. But it just seems like um, if you can give lower prices to people who have energy developments uh, near them, then that's kind of a good way to sort of, you know, try and sort of tackle nimbyism, isn't it? Mm. I mean, because obviously a lot of the kind of the, the, the you know, opposition to things like solar panels or onshore wind is is really about people, you know, kind of complaining about losing, you know, their view or, or, or the sort of the, the, you know, the disruption to their lives and getting nothing in return. But if they can, you know, see, uh, see, see, see lower bills, see lower prices, then that, that feels like that's a kind of a bit of a win. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they play out. Because if there's one thing that this, uh, that, that, well, there's so much change going on in the energy system in, uh, right now with grid connections and that, and it's, a hell of a overregulated uh, place right now. So I'll be, you know, lots of plans, uh, lots of ambitions, but whether or not it comes off, uh, well, we'll have to see. So I'll uh, just have to keep reading 130 page consultation documents <laughs> until it does. Oh, That's the you're, spirit. You're the man for the job, Andrew. <laughs> you're, you're the man for the job. Uh, good, good. All right. Uh, well, no, well, I think that's been a very successful Energy Voice Out Loud. We've had N NNPC, you've had paddleboarding, and you've had Andy's, uh, well, valiant effort through that uh, lengthy document. So can't say fair than that. And that is it for this week's Energy Voice Out Loud. Thank you to Ed and Andy for joining me. I've been Alistair Thomas, and thanks for listening. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.